Amen and amen. You may be seated. For the last several weeks, we've been on a series called Contagious, the powerful effect of sharing our faith. And today is the last, uh, the fourth in that series. And uh, I want to just pick it up right where we left off last week. Last week, we talked about that there's two different approaches to sharing your faith. Two different approaches. Anybody remember what they were? First of all was what? Come and see. And number two was what? Go and tell. So last week, we talked a lot about come and see. We talked about uh, if, you're, if you're not yet trained or you're not comfortable in some way with sharing the gospel, uh, invite people to come to events or invite people to come to church and to hear the word of God and experience the presence of God. And we believe that God will honor that. And I gave you some tips on how to do that, and I think that they will prove very, very effective. But today, we want to shift and talk about go and tell. Go and tell. Uh, and I hope that uh, some of the instructions that I give you will be helpful, and uh, I understand that some of them will be very basic for m- some of you, but uh, I think they'll help be a good refresher and a good reminder. So uh, to describe the go and tell approach of sharing your faith from a biblical standpoint, you remember last week when we were talking about come and see, I gave you the example, biblical example. Does anybody remember who it involved? Levi. Yes. So Levi, the tax collector, met Christ. And then as a result, he immediately did what? He said, man, I'm going to have a dinner party at my house. I'm going to invite all my friends. And it was a, it was a come and see approach to sharing the gospel. And then they got a chance to meet Jesus and hear his words. Uh, the go and tell approach is also biblical. It's also biblical. Just two quick examples, and I and and I, you know, go ahead and read everything that there is in these stories. But remind you of the story in John chapter four of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Do y'all remember that story? So here we find Jesus uh, at the well, uh, went specifically to this specific location. It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "Will you give me a drink?" Now, you probably remember that there was a, 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 a racial and prejudice uh, a, that existed between the Samaritans and the Jews. In fact, she was shocked that a Jew would be talking to her. And yet Jesus was, he man, it was clear. He had a mission that he wanted to see that lady's life changed. And he simply asked her something very practical that was connected to what was going on. It was a very conversational approach. He simply said, she's there getting water out of the well. And he said, will you give me a drink? Can I have some? And then it says uh, in verse 8, the, uh, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. And verse 9 says, the Samaritan woman said to him, well, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She was shocked that he would cross that cultural barrier and, and, and be asked, even communicating and asking her to give him a drink. But Jesus saw right through all those barriers, and we should too, amen? And we should see the opportunity of seeing someone's life changed, and that's exactly what took place here. And then in verse 10, it says, And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that you're asking for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Notice how Jesus took the the very setting and the context and 
called it living water. And what is he doing? He's trying to get to the heart of the matter in her life. And he ends up uh, leading her into a new birth experience and making a commitment as one of his disciples. So John chapter 4 is one example. There's another one in Luke chapter 19. There's more than this, but these are familiar ones. You remember the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus? Anybody here go to Sunday school and learn about Zacchaeus? A few of you. All right. So let me read to you from Luke 19, verses 1 through, I can't read all all 10 verses. I'll read to you a few of them. Verse 5. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now, how many of you remember why uh, he happened to notice Zacchaeus? Does anybody remember? He climbed up in a tree. Why would he be so inclined to climb up into a tree as Jesus was passing by? Because he was a short dude. Yeah, he was a short guy, and he couldn't see over the crowd. And so he's, man, I'll solve this. I'll simply climb up into the tree. But you know something? The fact that Jesus would notice one person out of a crowd of hundreds and thousands that were lining the road, Jesus would notice him and call him by name. I'm not sure how Jesus knew his name. I don't know if it was supernatural, he had a word of knowledge, or whether one of his disciples whispered to him, that's Zacchaeus. I don't care, but the fact is, he called him by name. Listen, when God wants to get your attention, he'll even call you by name. Called him by name and said, Zacchaeus, look what he told him. He said, Zacchaeus, you've got to get down quickly, right now. Did you notice the urgency? You've got to come down right now because why? I have to come to your house today. That's what you call inviting yourself for dinner. I use that method frequently. And he just said, today, I've got to come to your house. Why did he want to come to his house? It had nothing to do with dinner. It had to do with he wanted the opportunity to exchange and talk to Zacchaeus to make sure he would make a choice, a quality choice, to follow Jesus and be his disciple. And, of course, we know the end of the story is he did. These are two examples where, in this case, Jesus is walking away from what might have been comfortable or convenient and he's crossing over boldly to present the life-changing good news to someone who's in need. That's what the go-and-tell approach is. It's you and me taking sometimes the challenging approach and actually deciding that I'm going to go and share with someone. It doesn't need to necessarily be a stranger, by the way. It can be someone that you have a relationship with, and we'll get into that in just a moment. So that's what the go and tell, where you are the one that's responsible to actually approach and to share the important ingredients of the good news message of Jesus Christ. Statistics show us it's pretty shocking, the number of Christians today. These are born-again Christians that actually feel adequate and feel comfortable in leading someone to Christ is shockingly low. So what that means is most Christians either don't have good training or fear is gripping them to where they don't feel like they want to to cross the line and actually share with someone for all different kinds of reasons. I find one of the most common reasons is people say, well, I don't know what to say. Or also they'll say things like this. Well, what if they reject me? 
Now that one really gets on my nerves, all right? When someone says, well, but they might reject me. Look, come on, folks. In our world today, you get rejected a bunch every week, all right? I mean, we all have rejection, social rejection that goes on. Why not do it for something that has eternal consequences? <laughs> I mean, people are nasty today. I mean, they do all, say all kinds of, do all kinds of weird stuff. Well, let's just, you know, if there's eternal, we're talking about this subject we're talking about today is high stakes. This is life and death stuff. So let's just check ourselves and say, wait a minute, I've got to overcome this fear of rejection and, and, and be willing to be rejected if it means the possibility that I can sow a seed or see someone's life change permanently for Christ's sake, I'm willing to be rejected. Can I hear an amen? amen. All right, so let me give you some steps, all right? So here's some steps, and I'm going to get through, I uh, hope I can get through all of them. But I'm going to do my best, all right? I've got six. We'll see how far we get. Didn't do too good in 9 a.m. service, so we're going to try to do better, all right? Here we go. So six steps towards sharing your faith contagiously, all right? Number one, develop intentional relationships. We talked about this a little bit last week, but it's much easier to share your faith and the gospel with someone and pray with someone to receive Christ if you already know them. Yes, we can do that with a stranger. There might be circumstances where you intersect with someone and it's an opportunity. You go, man, this is God set this thing up. I'm just going to ask him a question or share something with him. But it's usually best if you already have an existing relationship, which means, Christians, we've got to start rubbing shoulders with unbelievers and unchurched people and, and, and Christians who've, who are de-churched and turn their backs on the Lord. Just remember the example of Jesus. One of the, one of the flack, some of the flack that he got was what? Who he used to spend time with. Am I right? He didn't spend time. Notice he didn't spend time with religious people. Okay? He spent time with people in need. I mean, he spent time with uh, prostitutes, sinners, tax collectors, sick, blind, lame, leprous, social outcasts, those that were physically deformed. He spent time with people who had a current desperate felt need. Statistics prove to us that poor people are far more receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ than people who are of wealth. That doesn't mean that people with money and, and things don't need Jesus. It just means that generally speaking, someone who is poor, or I would add in need, in some kind of felt need situation, are far more open to hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. So we need to remember that. And, and what we need to do is we need to build intentional relationships with people where we have the opportunities to really share the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, number two. First is develop intentional relationships. Rub shoulders. Create relationships intentionally with unbelievers and unchurched people. Number two, share your story. Some of you are like, my story? I don't know about my story. Do you know every single one of you have a story? If you know Jesus personally, if you've been born again, you have a story to tell. We talked about this about three weeks ago, but I just want to emphasize it to you. You Maybe one of the most powerful things that you can do is to learn how to articulate your personal story. In 
four or five minutes max. Okay, So we're not talking about you taking 30 minutes to tell your story. So your story can be as simple as this. I used to be this. God changed me. And now that I'm this. This is how my life has radically changed since I turned over my life to God. I now have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You may want to contrast your old life and your new life. Uh, you may want to just tell them how God changed your life. Just in your story, make it clear what made the change. I came to Christ. I was, I was talking to someone, and they shared with me how I could accept Christ, and I prayed a prayer with them. Or you might say, I was watching someone, uh, an evangelist on TV, and, and when they asked for people to pray with them, I prayed with them, and I know that my life changed from that point. So include in your story how God has changed your life. Some of you do not understand how powerful your story is. And some of you are kind of like me because my story is not like real dramatic. You know, I mean, I was churched, made a decision when I was five years old. I hadn't done drugs. I never did, you know, I don't have, a, you know, one, a shocking testimony. But years ago, the Lord just convicted me. He said, you have a story. And there are many people that can relate to your story. And so I just challenge you, realize that your testimony in a condensed form, practice it, write it down. Practice saying it in three to four minutes in a way that someone can understand. And when they hear the most powerful thing, if you talk to anybody that's involved in marketing, the most powerful marketing that's ever done is what? Personal. Personal. Here's how it affected me. Here's what it did in my life. Testimonials. That's the most powerful thing. It's also extremely powerful when you're trying to share your faith. So share your story. Number three, share the basic principles of receiving Christ. Share the basic principles of receiving Christ. Now, folks, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't want to make anybody feel like I'm just look, I'm, I'm in doing this in a condescending way. But I know based on statistics, the number of Christians that I'm told and the statistics bear out do not know the basic principles of the good news message to share with someone about how they can accept Christ. You think, oh, well, surely everybody knows that. So if I ask you today, if you talk to someone, if you ran into someone after church and you had the opportunity to just begin to share with them and they said, yes, well, I'd like to, you know, I, I, you know I'd like to know more. Would you know how to present the good news of Jesus Christ, the basic core of the gospel? Would you know how to present that to them <clears throat> in a way that sets them up for you to ask them if they would like to pray and accept Christ. I'm shocked by the number of Christians that have absolute no competence or confidence in doing that. That's a shame, isn't it? I'm not trying to condemn any of us. I'm just saying, come on, we got, we got to be better than that. All right? So what I'm going to do with you right now is I'm going to treat it like you know nothing. Okay? I'm going to share with you the four key principles that need to be a part. If you're presenting the complete 
This is the gospel, if you will, in a complete form. All right? Now, I'm not saying every time you talk to someone, you have to pack all this in there. But I want to make sure you know what it is. All right? So this is a good moment for you to take notes. All right? So, or, or, or ask me later to make, if, if you don't receive our, our notes already before the messages, we can make sure that you receive so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk you through this as if you're a seeker, you're someone that doesn't know Christ, and I'm going to talk you through this in the same way that I would with anybody else, all right? So I want to share with you the fact that the Bible makes it very, very clear how we can know God. So let me share with you those four principles. Number one, principle number one, God loves you. And he has this wonderful purpose for your life. The Bible actually tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. That's from John 3.16. That tells you that God loves you so much that he gave his own son for you. Scripture also says in John 10, 10, Jesus was speaking and he said, I came that they might have life and that they might have it abundantly. God wants you to have a life that's different than what you have today. He wants it to be abundant and meaningful and full. So the first principle you need to know is that God loves you and he has a purpose and a plan. He wants to show you and he wants to bring you to that point. Principle number two, All of us sin. We all sin, and our sin has actually separated us from God. The Bible actually tells us that every single one of us have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The word sin means to miss the target. God has a standard of perfection and holiness. And ever since Adam and Eve sinned, We know that every single one of us since then have inherited that tendency to sin. Every one of us, because of stubbornness, self-will, independence, we have sinned and we have missed the mark. Sometimes I'll actually say to someone, are you perfect? Never found anybody who's told me they're perfect yet. Well, of course you're not perfect because none of us are perfect. We're all sinful. But we also need to know that there's a result, there's an impact of our sin. We, because of sin, according to Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. In other words, the cost, the price tag of sin, which we've all committed, is spiritual separation from God. What could be worse than to be eternally separated from a loving God? So there is separation in our lives Uh, As sinners, we are separated from God. So all of us sin, and our sin has separated us from God. So between you right now and God, there's this chasm. It's created, the separation is created by sin. But I've got good news for you. Here's principle number three. Jesus Christ is God's only provision for our sin. Jesus came to be an answer for you. The scripture says in Romans 5, 8, that he died in your place. God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ 
died for us. Even when you were in rebellion, doing your own thing, even when you had no idea of God's love, the Bible says that he died for you because he loves you. Christ died even while you were still turning and running away from him. Scripture also tells us not only did he die for us, but in 1 Corinthians 15, it tells us that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The Bible teaches that there is clear evidence that not only did Jesus die on a cross for you and for me, for my sins, in my place, but he was also raised from the dead, resurrected from the dead. That's miraculous. And there's verifiable evidence of his resurrection. Did you know something? He's also the only way you can ever have a relationship with God. Jesus made it clear in John 14 and verse 6, Jesus' words. He said, I am the way, not a way, not one of the ways. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the only way that can remedy this sin problem, this separation that exists for all of us, including you. He is the only way to God. Now let me give you one more principle. And that's principle number four. And it simply says this. We have to individually receive Christ. As an individual, you have to make a decision to receive Christ as your Savior and Lord. No one can force you into it. You can't, you can't ride on the coattails of your parents. It's individual. So the Bible says in John 1, 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. We have to actually receive Christ personally. He's ready. He's paid the price, but you have to receive him. And also the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, that the way that we receive them is by faith. By grace, you have been saved through faith. We don't deserve it, it's by grace. But we receive it through faith. And that's not of ourselves, but it is God's gift. So that as a result of that, no one can boast. It's not because we've worked, our, worked and we're really, really good people. That's not enough. It takes faith in what Jesus has done for us. But you can do that. You simply have to choose to receive him and to put your faith in him as your Savior and your Lord. When we receive Christ, we experience a new birth. We're changed on the inside. We become a new person. We receive forgiveness. It is the greatest miracle on earth. Now let me ask you a question. Do you, do you understand these four principles? Or do you have any questions about them? Sometimes a question will come up. And by the way, you don't have to know all the answers. You don't know an answer. You say, you know, that, I'm not sure about that, but I can find out for you. Also, don't let them just get you off track. Bring it back every time to, but you know what? I hear what you're saying, but the real question is, what are you going to do today with Jesus Christ? Yeah, I know, I know, you're, I know you're concerned about, you know, what happens to the Muslims and whatever else, you know, the Jehovah's Witness told me this. 
I know you're concerned about that. But the real question is, what will you choose to do with Jesus Christ? Will you accept him or will you reject him? That's the issue. And then what you want to make sure you do is go to step number four, which is you want to ask them to pray. You want to ask them to pray. Ask them if they would be willing to pray to receive Christ. Say, now that you've heard the good news that I've shared with you, would you like to pray to accept Christ today and know that your sins are forgiven and you have a new relationship with God? Sometimes people will say, no, I don't think I'm ready. Fine. Do me a favor. When you're ready, would you let me know? I'm available anytime to pray with you. But many times you'll be surprised. Someone will say, yeah, I'm ready. And here's what you do then. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray with you right now. Let's just bow our heads. I'd like to just lead you in a prayer. And you just repeat these words. Mean them from your heart. But repeat these words. So I'm going to ask you, congregation, to do that with me right now. And there may be someone who prays this prayer with me right now. And it's the first genuine time you've ever prayed a prayer towards God that you meaningfully ask him into your heart. And that would be a wonderful thing. But even if you already know him, it's good to learn. All right, so this is just a simple prayer. There's no secret formula in the words that I have in this prayer. I've just tried to make it simple and cover the bases. <laughs> All right, so pray this with me and after me. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. I choose to turn away from my past and to surrender to you control over my life. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. Take control of the throne of my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. Amen. That simple prayer meant with a sincere heart is the most powerful thing on earth because it will bring a radical change from the inside out for that person. <coughs> May I just give you five and six? I won't have a chance to explain much about, uh, about them, but at least I can give them to you. All right. Number five, make use of the spiritual gifts. Now, I urge you, because I don't have time to really unpack this, and some of you are like, what? Come to that April 27th workshop. There's something that we call power evangelism. It is proven in Scripture that the, the apostles, including Paul and the disciples, use spiritual, supernatural gifts in order to empower the gospel. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, Paul said, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration. Can everybody say demonstration? demonstration? Of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. There has to be, watch, there has to be proclamation. That's what we just talked about. But if you add proc to proclamation, demonstration, even agnostics will say, whoa, this must be true. 
You say, well, what, what kind of stuff are you talking about? Look at Mark 16, verse 20, which is, is really a promise for all of us. Then the disciples went out and they preached everywhere. In other words, they proclaimed the good news. And watch there. The Lord worked with them. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it, if God's working with you, right? The Lord worked with them and did what? Confirmed his word, that's what we just walked through, with what? Signs. Through you knowing how to use a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, a gift of healing, you'd be shocked at how that will change the effectiveness of your ability to witness to people. Love and power combined together will radically change someone's life. And like I said, I don't have more time to tell you the how-to of that. So I'm not trying to bait you, but I would love for you to come to that, that training workshop and learn how to do that. Number six, make a habit of being contagious. May I just offer you a 30-day challenge? We spent four weeks talking about being contagious. Before the end of today, I'm not going to make you sit here and do it. Before the end of today, write down on your phone notes, in your journal, on a little card and put it in your Bible. I want you to write down a list of six people who you think just possibly might need Christ. You don't know. You might not know for certain. They may be a family member. They may be a co-worker. They may be a neighbor. But you suspect that they need Christ. Maybe they're de-churched. Maybe they had religion and never had the real thing. Write down. Force yourself. Write down six names. Then, for 30 days, here's what I want you to do. Every morning, I want you to get down on your knees and I want you to pray. Simple, simple, simple prayer. And I want you to say, Lord, you see these names. And I'm asking today that you would lead me to someone. I'm praying for these six, but I'm asking that you would lead me today to someone whose heart has been prepared for me to share my story with. Is that a difficult prayer? I think some of us would be shocked at the opportunities. Now, once the opportunity comes, you've got to do something with it. And that, that's happened to me before. I've prayed that and then go, oh, man. I can't believe I missed that one. It's all right. God will give you another shot. Just pray. Ask him to bring people into your path. Give you intersections with people whose hearts have been prepared for your witness. If you'll do this for 30 days, just decide, I'm going to talk to everyone I can who will listen. I'm going to talk to them about my story as a lead-in to possibly sharing the complete gospel message that I just described to you. The Bible says, we read this uh, weeks ago, how will they know if someone doesn't tell them? How will people know if someone doesn't tell your story and your willingness to step out of your comfort zone to make yourself contagious for Christ can make all the difference in someone's life? Would you stand to your feet with me? Prayer teams, come forward.
you know what? I feel a, a prompting, a word of knowledge to say this to you. There's some of you here this morning, right now, who have a family member who might be on their deathbed, advanced in age, or in a lot of trouble that you've never given the chance to present Jesus to them. You say, well, I, you know, they live in California. Call them. At least give them a chance to accept the Jesus that you know and have their sins forgiven. Again, this is life and death stuff. So, would you act on it? How many of you would say to me today, Pastor Bobby, I'm willing to make a commitment to do my absolute best to be a contagious Christian. I'm willing to do that. I know I need to be, and I'm saying today, Lord, I'm willing for you to help make me a more contagious Christian. Would you just raise your hand? Okay, you can put your hands down. I want you to pray with me now. And uh, I want to ask you as we bow our hearts in prayer, is there anybody here this morning who prayed that prayer I led you in moments ago? And you can honestly say, you know, that, that was the first time I said that genuinely. That, that was a breakthrough for me. And now I know, based on that prayer, I know that I have a relationship with God. Something happened to me when I prayed that prayer. Would you just raise your hand wave at me right now? Say, I prayed that prayer, I know. I see a hand here. Someone else? I'm not sure about any other time, but I know that time. I meant it with all my Is there anybody else? All right, if you're raising your hand, I just want you to slip out of your seat right now. Just come down. I want you to come to one of these prayer teams that's right here. There's prayer teams across the front. You can just slip out right now. If you raise your hand, just come on out and let one of them just, they're just going to pray with you and seal your decision. Anyone else? If you raise your hand. You, maybe you said, you know, I, I heard y'all praying. I didn't, I didn't really pray. But you'd like to. I encourage you to come and let one of these teams pray with you. I'm just going to pray in closing. Glenn's going to come and just bless you as you leave and are dismissed today. Father, we thank you that the good news is the power of God unto salvation. It's not a good life. It's good news that has power to change people. So, Lord, we, many of us, we know the message. But we're thankful that you're urging us to be more bold and more contagious with it. Lord, we give you praise today for the opportunity to be stretched and then even to accept this 30-day challenge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Glenn? just want to speak a blessing that everywhere you step this week uh, not only will there be peace there that, but there will be boldness that there will be opportunity and I also want to speak a blessing that you would see what God sees and you would see the way God sees and that no longer would you be fearful to share uh, but that you would be courageous enough to be contagious Father we thank you for this opportunity and we ask you to bless us this week in Jesus' name.
You guys could be dismissed in the foyer for your fellowship. There's some ministry taking place at the altar. We just want to give way to what the Holy Spirit would have to do.